All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, if you'll go to Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to read a few verses here, six verses, and then I'd like you to do your best, if you could, is to, uh, is to stay with me, all right, as we turn to some passages this morning, we're going to have to do that. In order for you to understand what what is fully to understand fully what is being declared unto you and what the Lord wants you to know this morning, notice what it says, Matthew chapter eleven, verse one, and it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ. He sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And I want to preach to you this morning and declare to you that, you know what, the search is over. Those men asked and said, art thou he or do we search for another? And I'll just tell you this morning unequivocally, unashamedly, that the search is over. There's not another like him. Amen. And, uh, and so we want to look at those things this morning. We want to separate fact from fiction. Fact from fiction. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the precious word. Thank you for our precious Savior, the God of the word, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as you said, Lord Jesus, if you were to be lifted up, you would draw all men and women unto yourself. May you have your perfect will and way with your servant and with these dear saints, Lord, that have come to visit this morning. And we love you and we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, you know, here, here is this story. John is in prison. You know, now, uh, unlike a lot of men who want six months of preparation for a 30-year ministry, John the Baptist had 30, month, 30 years in obscurity in preparation for just a six-month ministry. Six months. And, you know, I mean, he said some pretty profound things and, uh, and if you will, some things that sort of agitated people, the reason why he's in prison is because he called out Herod, who was an adulterer, who had his brother's wife and said it ought not to be so. Herod was afraid of John, but his wife, man, she just couldn't live under the guilt. And basically, she's going to ask for his head upon a charger. A charger would be like a serving tray. Gosh, what kind of woman was this who, who thought that was going to be you know, appropriate behavior or whatever. It wasn't enough just to kill him. No, she wanted that head on a charger, on a platter, so that all could see it. She wanted to be assured that his voice of condemnation and conviction was quieted. But you know, that's the thing about a conscience. It just never does go away all the time. Amen. Now, you can sear it to where you don't hear it anymore, and I I, suppose, I, I suspect that was a possibility with this woman, but she's not the subject of the message. I'm just telling you why John is in prison. He hadn't been bad. He was doing what God called him to do. And he was preaching and brought that message of repentance to those people. And so 
John had only heard about the works. It eventually made it to that prison there. John had heard about the works of Christ. And it was rumored that God had visited his people. And, uh, and so John sends two of his disciples to find this out, to separate fact from fiction, if you will. And can you imagine what stories may have been told? I mean, man, it is like that telephone game. You've heard me mention that. Somebody starts off a little something over here. If Brother Mel were to start it, by the time it got over there to Brother Ed, it might be totally different. It might be two school buses and a flat tire or a Volkswagen. And who, I mean, who knows, all right? And so can you imagine the rumor mill that might have been at work about the Lord? Uh, during times of war, man, men would say they would hear something about what somebody did. And, of course, you know, those GIs, they might embellish it. They might, they might, uh, they might give the story. They might want to add their two cents to it. If it didn't sound great enough, sensational enough or whatever, they would add their own spin on it. And we still have spin doctors today, don't we? I mean, the media is full of those kind of things. And, and so you have to put your filters on and, and as you go through that. And so, uh, I mean, the world, the world has put a lot of spin on him. Some just said he was a good man. Some said he was a philosopher. You know, if you were, if you were a, uh, and I hope you aren't, but a, but a Mason, man, they come along. You know, Masons say that he's no different than Confucius. And they have, they have to put their hand on those things, that he was a prophet like Muhammad and all that kind of stuff. Beloved, that's not him, amen. There's no comparison to him. And so, and so, uh, and so that some say philosopher, some say teacher, some say just a good man. But the New Testament records some things about him that you and I ought to know. And, uh, and so they said, art thou he, or do we search for another? Do we search for another? So let's do that. Let's separate the facts from fiction. Let me say, first of all, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the scriptures. He is the fulfillment of the scripture. Do you know that in Matthew alone, the word fulfillment is used some 15 times as it refers to the Lord Jesus and his ministry. In John chapter 6, look with me, John chapter 6, you're going to go to a few places this morning, John chapter 6, and look with me in verse 14. So a couple of books over. Mark and Luke, and then comes to John. John chapter 6, and look in verse 14 with me. Notice what the scripture says. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth that a prophet should come into the world. This is one of the things that they said about him when speaking about him but that he was a fulfillment of the scriptures. Notice how they put that. This is of a truth, that prophet. They didn't say a prophet. They said that prophet that should come into the world. So there have been some things recorded about the Lord Jesus that are found within our Bible. And I want you to know, first of all, that Jesus Christ is the theme of the Bible. He is the theme. You remember writing a, writing a paragraph or maybe you did a term paper when you were in college or high school, you know, when you still knew how to, you know, how to do cursive writing and so forth. And, uh, and each paragraph or your, or the topic, it would have a theme. And the Lord Jesus is the theme of the scriptures. And you know what? Because history is really his story is what it is. It is a history about him. And so I want you to know in Genesis, in the book of Genesis, he is the promised seed. In the book of Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In the book of Levit Leviticus, he is the sweet savor offerings 
before God. In Numbers, he's the city of refuge. Amen? In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet that's like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of the hosts. In the book of Judges, he's pictured in all the deliverers. In the book of Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer that, that got that little girl. In Psalms, he's our rock. Amen? Uh, in the book of Proverbs, he's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. In the book of so in the Song of Solomon, he's the Rose of Sharon, the Lily of the Valley, and the fairest of ten thousand. Amen. That's him. He is the fulfillment of script. And on Daniel, man, he's the he's the lion tamer. Amen. Uh, there in the book of Daniel. And in Ezekiel, he's the wheel in the wheel. Amen. Matthew, he's the king of kings. Jesus, he, in the book of in the book of Luke, he's the son of man. In the book of Mark, he's that servant. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. In the book of Revelation, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In the book of Matthew, I said, he's the king of the Jews. And so, I mean, every book has a different aspect about his life. And, uh, and so you and I, man, as we read this and we see this, he is the theme of your Bible. And he is the fulfillment of the scriptures. And not one thing that was prophesied concerning him was overlooked. That's why Jesus said this. In Luke 24 and 44, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. There wasn't one thing left out. Could you imagine what it was like to be on the road to Emmaus with those two men? The Bible says he began to open the scriptures unto them. And man, he just revealed everything about the prophets, revealed everything about himself there in those Old Testament passages. And man, what did they say? They got that root. They said, man, after he left, they said, man, didn't our hearts burn within us? Amen. Man, I like it when it's like that. As you're reading the word or you're hearing the word preached, and uh, man, when our hearts burn within us. But I want you to know he's the theme of the Bible and he's the truth of the Bible. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that in John 14 and 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so grace and truth have really come by Jesus Christ according to the book of John in chapter 1 and verse 17. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came, by, came through Jesus Christ. I want you to know that he was virgin born. The Bible says, prophesied in the book of Isaiah, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's Isaiah 7, 14. You know what Emmanuel means? It means God with us. Amen. He was virgin born and lived a virtuous life. He said, think not I'm come to destroy the law of the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill them. The Lord Jesus fulfilled the law for us in Matthew 5. And we have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was in all points like as we are tempted, yet what? Yet without sin. And he lived a virtuous life. He died that vicarious death. It was said of him he saved others. Himself he cannot save. Jesus said, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. Or Paul said how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And then... And thank God there was a victorious resurrection. Amen. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but beloved, these are things God wants you to know and be assured of and be firm in your faith when the, when, when the disinformation, the misinformation, and the, and the colluded comes along to try to deceive or try to, to if you will, 
to deny the facts about our blessed Savior. For thou wilt not leave, the psalmist said, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And he did not. He was raised again on the third day. We know that corruption took place on the fourth day. But he rose again on the third day. He is, he is beloved, the fulfillment of the scriptures. I don't care what the gainsayers have to say. I don't care what you go to the, you know, you go to a Christian bookstore anymore. There's no telling what you're liable to hear from the person behind the counter as to what's truth and what's not. There's so many different books and so many different uh, religions in there and so forth. They call it, you know, a Christian bookstore, but not everything in there is Christian. And you can't be fooled by that. You got to look a little deeper. But I want you to know he is the fulfillment of the scriptures. Get you a King James Bible. Don't settle for something less. Get you the book that God wrote. Amen. And if you have a question about that, I'll be glad to help you with that. Amen. To know why there's a difference. Now listen, I, I, yes, I love the King James Bible, but I love the God of the King James Bible. Amen. This is not a God. It's a living word, but it's not a God. Jesus Christ is God. Amen. That's who he wants us to know. And so, so he is he is the fulfillment of the scriptures. And then I want you to know also he's the friend of sinners. Look at Matthew 11 with me. Go to Matthew 11. And this is something that we need in our lives and man, that we need to communicate with others that Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. You see, what was funny is the Pharisees, they weren't separated from sin, but they were separated from sinners. Jesus was separated from sin, but not separated from sinners. Why? Because he was their friend on more than one occasion. You're in Matthew 11, look in verse 19. Notice what they said. They said, the son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine bibber. Now watch, it was an accusation against him. A friend of publicans and of sinners, of, of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Why was he hanging around that crowd? You remember what he said? It's the sick that need a physician. Amen. That's why. It doesn't mean that we waller in the gutter with them, but we try to reach them. We want them to know that Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. It's true. He was seen eating and associating with them. Why? That he might impart life unto them. That they would see him and come to know him. I hope you, I hope you have some friends that are out. When I say friends, I, I hope you have some acquaintances. I hope you have some people that maybe you're rubbing elbows with that you can impart some nugget of truth to them. But they need to know that Christ is the friend of sin. There are so many people that say they are friends and yet we know they are not. You know, because when the chips are down, man, they're hard to find. Amen. But the Lord Jesus, man, he comes alongside at the right time in the power of the Holy Spirit through his word to aid that sinner, to comfort, not, not to comfort the sinner in their sin, but to deliver them from those things as their friend. And he is the friend of sinners. His critics could see this. Why? I mean, one of the things he say, well, can you prove to me? We're talking about separating facts from fiction. Well, here's one of those things he identified with us. Did you know that? He identified with us. He didn't come from Jerusalem, the great city of religion. He didn't come from Mecca for all those points. He didn't come from those places. He didn't come from Rome where the, all the mythology and all our Athens where all the philosophy. Man, he came from Nazareth. And what did Nathaniel say? He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? In other words, man, he, he, he came. I'll just put it like this. 
For those of you who might have a hard time this morning, he just came from the wrong side of the tracks. Amen. And, uh, and, and do you suppose, and you think there's railroad tracks in heaven? I got news for you. There's no such thing up there. But if there were, we'd all be living on the wrong side. Why? Because none of us deserve to go there. But the Lord Jesus did for us. We could not do for ourselves. He identified with us. He invested it all for us. You think about this, what, what Paul wrote. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he became poor. For our sakes, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And the Bible talks about, you know, we're, we're getting ready to celebrate what they call what the advent, right? The birth of Christ. And uh, I, you say, Brother Ed, was, was it really on December 20th? I don't know. And, and you know what? I don't care. <laughs> I, they, they, you know, Christmas could have been in July. I wouldn't care. I just know that he came, amen, born of a virgin, lived that virtuous life, died that vicarious death, and rose again victorious. Amen. That's all I care about. I know that it happened. And, uh, but he invested it all for us, and we're getting ready to, to celebrate those things, and we're getting ready to, to, uh, to talk about that. But when you think about it, man, I mean, he did it all that he might redeem mankind. He did it all for us. He did it to please his father, and he did it for the joy that was set before him, knowing that men and women, boys and girls, would come to a saving knowledge, to be part of the bride of Christ. So he invested it all for us. And when you think about it, when those men came to worship, when those men came to worship, you know, there wasn't one thing, that little child. Now, you know, most manger scenes, just let me throw this out here, and I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't burst your bubble. But the manger scenes, most of them that you see, you know, it's got the wise men out there by the manger scene. That's not true. That's not biblical. He was in a manger when he was an infant, when he was a newborn, amen, a newborn, a neonate. That's the technical word for it, if you like. Someone less than 30 days old, a neonate. He was in that manger there. But the Bible speaks about when the, when the wise men came, he was a young child. He's about two years old. But nonetheless, whether those shepherds saw an infant or those wise men saw a two-year-old, there wasn't one thing that they could get from him. I mean, what can a baby do for you? What can a two-year-old do for you except maybe coo at you or whatever? I don't know. I mean, they can't really do anything significant because they didn't come there to get something. They came there to give something, amen? They came to give worship and praise and thanksgiving. But he invested it all. When you think about, man, out of the, out of the ivory palaces he came, the first breath he took in this world smelled of manure, probably wet hay and straw. The first sounds he heard, it wasn't a heavenly chorus, but he was used to hearing those, those beasts around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. And he gets in there and might have heard the bleeding of the sheep. He might have heard maybe the sounds of others in the inn, maybe the noise or the, what was going on at that time or the bells around the, the, the animals, livestock, or whatever they might have had in those days. But it certainly wasn't heavenly songs. It wasn't those things. I know the angels came and said, and said, glory to God in the highest peace on earth and goodwill towards men. I know that. I get that. 
But man, after those initial things, man, it was just the sounds that are associated with a smelly stable and the loving touch of a mother. I'm telling you, he invested it all. And you think about what did he leave? And he left it, what? For us. So he could get, so he could get this. So he could get you. Man, that's separating fact from fiction. <laughs> but sometimes when you think about it, he, you know, he didn't get a whole lot. But what he got, he loved. And he does love. Yet. Amen. He identified with us. He invested it all for us. And he interceded for us. That's what Ephesians 5 and verse 2 talks about. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We were dead in trespasses and sin. Go to the book of Ephesians with me. I want you to see this. What was our condition? It was pitiful. It was pitiful. No wonder the Bible says that we were without strength. Notice what it says. Look in Ephesians 5 and verse 2. The, the Bible says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. He took the stench of our iniquity upon himself and gave us his righteousness. And that sacrifice that he made it says here was a sweet smelling savor in the nostrils of God. The world might have looked at him, you know, he said, hey, others he could save, but himself he can't save. They might have said, what a failure. But I think God was looking over the portals of heaven and said, man, that's my son. What a success. What a success. Doing exactly what, what the Lord had told him to do, what his father had told him to do. So he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. You know, there's a songwriter, I think, that said he paid a debt that he did not owe for us who owed a debt that we could not pay. Man, what a blessing. I don't know if anybody else has done that for me. Amen. I just don't know that. And neither, probably neither do you. But he's the friend of sinners. Don't let anyone ever tell you differently. He's not trying to hurt your life or to hem you up or whatever. Man, when God says no or whatever, he's trying to keep you out of trouble. Amen. And don't let anybody tell you the different. No is an answer to prayer. <laughs> it just may not be the one that we like. May not see right now, but I want you to know he's your friend. And he is, as Proverbs 18 says, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Man. You know, when you've had some victory, you've had some success. Boy, you get a lot of kinfolk. But when you, when, when you go through failure, a lot of times you're an orphan. Amen. You're an orphan, but not so with our Savior. Not so. He's right there for us. He is the friend of sinners. And I want you to see number three, that he is the final sacrifice. Now watch this with more separating fact from fiction. He is the final sacrifice. You're in Ephesians. Go to Hebrews with me. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to see this with me. Hebrews chapter 10. Right before the book of James. Hebrews chapter 10. Now listen. Every religion. 
And when I use that word religion, I, I, I use it loosely because, you know, the, the book of James talks about pure religion. And maybe one day we'll, we'll, we'll examine that. But, uh, but typically when I think of this is me, my, my, my opinion here. When I think about the word religion, I think about something that is man-made. And, uh, and, and so when I think about that, man-made religions have man-made demands. And those demands can be varied. For some people, it's take the sacraments. For others, it's be baptized. Some of them will speak in tongues. Some of them, if you were a Muslim today, you have to pray five times a day. Observe days and solemn feasts or rituals. And that you're encouraged to go to Mecca at least once in your lifetime if you can. And they go there and they, they walk around this pillar and they throw rocks at it. I'm not exactly sure of the significance of that. But that's what they do. And there'll be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them. And they do those things. And so every religion has its demands. And in each of those, there is this condition. It, this is what it basically says. Once you've done this, if you took the sacraments, if you were baptized, if you spoke, then don't ever sin again because you could surely lose it. But I have news for you this morning that the good news is that when God saves a person, you're saved from here through eternity. Amen. It's a salvation that is not to be repented of. You say, well, I could, you, somebody would say, well, you say, well, Brother Ed, I mean, man, you could, you could probably jump out of his hands. Do you think you can jump out of a hand big enough that carved out the ocean? As a matter of fact, you know, Jesus was teaching that in his hand, he's in his father's hands, and we're in there. We're classed by that. You can't jump out of there any, any more than you can be unborn. You're birthed into this world. You're here. We're saved, we're saved for eternity. And uh, and there's no, the Bible has much to say about that. We're kept by the power of God. I, I don't have time this morning to go through every one of the passages, but there are several there that speak of our eternal security that we have in Christ. As long as God's alive, there is hope for us. Amen. There is. And so he is the final sacrifice. I asked you to go to Hebrews 10. Look with me in verse 11. I want you to see this. Now watch. This is, a, this, is a, this is written about that tabernacle in the wilderness. That tabernacle that was back there. Well, notice what it says. Verse 11. It says, And every priest standeth daily at ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices. Now watch. Which can never take away sin. But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Well, let me ask you, how long is forever? It is forever. I don't think you have to be a Greek scholar to understand that. And uh, what the, But here's the interesting thing. It says, every priest standeth daily ministering, offering sacrifice. Do you know why they had to stand? Because there wasn't a chair. In all of the furniture of the tabernacle, there wasn't a chair. There wasn't a place. 
for the priest to sit down there. When you walked in through that eastern gate, you walked inside those curtains of white and on the sockets of silver and those boards overlaid with gold and you went in there and there first of all was a brazen altar where you would bring your sacrifice, whether it be a bullock or a turtle dove or a lamb, depending upon your economic situation. God had something for everyone. And you would go in there and that priest would take the offering. You would place your hand upon the head of that offering, bullock or dove or or lamb, and he would slice the throat of that animal and catch that blood as a symbol of you transferring your sins to that innocent animal. It was the guilty dot correction. It was the innocent dying for the guilty. And that blood would be captured and that body would be placed upon that brazen altar. And there it was burnt and that blood shed that you might have, again, you might have a holding back. Notice what it said there in verse 11. It said, it which can never take away sins. Those sacrifices of the Old Testament only covered the sin. It's as much as like sweeping dirt under the carpet, which is what people used to do. But eventually that dirt, it piles up, it piles up, it piles up. The dirt doesn't go away just because you put it under the carpet. Because it was out of sight doesn't mean it was out of, my, out of the mind of God. It had only been covered. That's why they still observed Yom Kippur. They still observed the Day of Atonement, the Day of Covering. Israel does. As if to hold back the judgment of God one more year. But when Christ died, man, he put an end to those. That's why John 1.29 says of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And that's the reason why here the Lord was allowed to, if you will, is seated. Why? Because the work has been done. You can't add one more thing of value to the final sacrifice. People are going to be observing Lent, and they're going to be doing different things. If in the Philippines, some men are going to crucify themselves, and they're going to walk and be paraded around, nailed to crosses and so forth. If you've ever seen that in the Philippines, some are going to flog themselves on the way. They're going to stop at the 14 stations of the cross in Rome, and they're going to, or, or if you will, in Jerusalem, and they're going to, they're going to do all that and beat themselves and flail their skin and lay it open. Some are going to climb uh, uh, the steps of churches and places on their knees, bloodied and so forth. In Mexico, they're going to do all kinds of things. Why? It's all in an effort to deem themselves worthy for God to save them. Beloved, you can't add one thing to what Jesus Christ did. Yeah, amen. That's the reason why it's not, well, I'm going to clean myself up and then I'll go, no, that, you're trying, that, that doesn't change anything. You're still what you are. You need a new nature. And when God cleanses a man, he puts a new nature on the inside in the person of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, he is not just a friend of sinners, but he's the final sacrifice Nothing can be added. That's the reason why. That's the reason why as you go through the book of Hebrews, man, he's greater than the priesthood. He's greater than a Moses. He's greater. I mean, man, he's greater than anyone or anything under that Old Testament economy. God busted it all. Put it all in Jesus Christ. Look in chapter 9 with me and look in verse 12. Hebrews chapter 9, look in verse 12. Notice what it says neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, oh, what's that word? Does that say temporary? 
My, does your Bible say temporary? What does it say there in verse 12? It says eternal. Well, how long is eternal? I think that's just about like forever, all right? Eternal. You don't have to have a college degree to figure that out. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, past tense, obtained eternal redemption for who? You could take out that word us and put your name in there. Having obtained eternal, eternal redemption for who? Oh, for Scooter, for Larry, for Debbie, for Ed. He did it for us. Forever. In each of those, each instance, he's done all these things as the final sacrifice. Obtain this for us. This is separating fact from fiction because there's a lot of fiction out there. Beloved, he did these things that you and I could have this eternal life. He did these things that you and I might be saved, that he obtained these things for us. But you know what? In that general way, you know, it, that, what we're talking about here is that it's a personal salvation. It's not just a general salvation. It's true that Jesus died for all men and whosoever will may come, but they must come. It's got to get from here to here for it to do some good. It's when it becomes personal. He's a personal Lord, my personal Savior, not just the Savior. No, he's my Savior. What did David say? The Lord is a shepherd. No, he said the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It was personal for him. It needs to be personal for us. And that's why the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's the fulfillment of the scriptures. He is the friend of sinners. He's the final sacrifice. But one more thing, he is the foundation of the saints. He is the foundation of the saints. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I'm almost done. Matthew 7. And look with me here in verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Thank you for staying with me. Thank you for turning those pages. Listen, you need the word of God more than you need uh, Pastor Ed's opinion. Amen. You need the Bible. That's what will help you. That's what sets men free. And so look in Matthew, look in Matthew 7, look in verse 24. Notice what it says here. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that, but that rather a tumult was made. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. And, uh, and then answered all the people and said, his blood be upon us and upon our, I, I'm in the wrong place. I got the wrong seven here. I'm in Matthew 20. Sorry about that. Matthew 7. Verse 24, therefore, now watch, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the sun, at correction, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the saints. He's the only foundation that is time and weather proof. Listen, the rains of life are going to try the roof of your life. The winds and storms of life are going to try the walls. And the uncertainties of life, like a flood, 
will try the foundation. If the house is built upon sand, it will diminish. It will be washed away. In other words, the certainty of death exposes what you and I have been trusting in. And death is a reality. It is coming. Every time you pass a cemetery, that's a testimony to the truth that death is really just one step away from us, just one heartbeat away. I'm not trying to be morbid this morning. I'm just being honest with you. And that's why he's the foundation of the saints. You know, most times, if I've been to New York City. I, I went there once when I was a teenager. And uh, I, I, was, I was impressed with it. But I, I, I was so tired in the jet lag. I'd come back from Scandinavia. I was 16 years old. I'd come back and I got on some ship. They took us all out on this boat. We were supposed to see the Statue of Liberty, but... Uh, dummy me, I fell asleep out there. That that boat, I like being on the water in a, in a boat, and and uh, and I fell asleep, and and I missed the Statue of Liberty. But man, I everywhere I looked, it was just one tall building after another one after another one. Some of them, man, were beautiful to look at on the outside, ornate. I was just in Doha in in Qatar here a, a month ago. Man, they had some they had some of the most unusual and beautiful architecture. But, you know, most people, when they look at skyscrapers, they usually they comment on the beauty and the artistry and the unique architecture of that building. But those who build them, they don't just think about that. They think about everything that's underground that you don't see that provides the foundation to hold that monstrous building up. And that's what that's who the Lord Jesus Christ is in the life of a believer. He is that footing. He is that foundation that supports everything about our lives. Because you know why? The journey is just too great for us by ourselves. It's just too important. George Truitt, an old preacher, said this. He said, the age-long cry of the human race has been for the revelation of a personal God able and willing to forgive human sin and then to give rest to the human conscience. Man, do you know where you're going to be when you leave this world? Do you know that heaven is your home when you die? I'll tell you what, there's that, that, that is a peace that comes and you don't have to struggle with that. You can pillow your head at night when you don't know what world you're in, this world or some other world. And should you not, we, you know, we, we sang that song, uh, stay by my cradle and all those kind of things. Listen, listen, when you get born again, you can pillow your head at night and not have fear and worry and dread about what the morrow's going to bring. Why? Because the Savior is going to be the same. Amen. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. Forever. It is, it is the facts over fiction. Beloved, God wants you to know that. God wants you to rest upon that. God wants you to believe that with all of your heart. I'm telling you, it brings peace that passes all understanding. The world is going to be celebrating peace on earth and goodwill towards men. You know what that is? That's not about one man getting along with another man. That's not about proclaiming or declaring a ceasefire between warring parties. But that peace and goodwill is the fact that God initiated the acts of peace in sending the Lord Jesus Christ into this world. That eventually he would, he would grow and die that vicarious death and thereby bring peace 
reconciliation, the possibility, the availability for that for every man and woman in this world. That's what peace on earth, that was the goodwill that God sent his son to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. I mean, he just loved his creation so much. He just couldn't stand by and watch it perish. He just couldn't. Man, thank God. Amen. Thank God that we are loved of the Father like that. That's why, you know, you know that song, you know that guy, Charles Weigel? You ever heard of him, Charles Weigel? I know you've heard of this song. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. I know you know that song. Do you know, do you know the history behind that song? Do you know why Charles Weigel wrote that song? He came home one day. Charles Weigel was a Christian. He came home one day to an empty house. His wife had left him, took the children, never as far as I know, never saw them again. Just abandoned him. And he wrote that song, No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus. The love of many waxes cold, but not the love of our Savior, for his dear people, for his children. Boy, do you know him today. That's what he wants you to know. He's all these things and a whole lot more. Amen. All right, let's pray. Sister, as you come, will you? We'll just have an invitation here, just an opportunity for you to respond, maybe to give thanks. I don't know. I don't make judgments about people like that. The, the altars are open, and it's just an opportunity to respond to what you've heard this morning. If God spoke to your heart, just do what he says. Father, I so thank you, Lord, for your precious word. And, Lord, thank you so much for our precious Savior, God of this Bible, the, Lord, the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. He really is the fairest of 10,000. And, Lord, I thank you for being my Savior, my Lord, and God, for the, for the forgiveness of sin that I have. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside. Thank you for the life you've given us here. And not only this life, but Lord, the one to come. What a blessing it is to be your child. I pray for them this morning. Lord, may your will be done in the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.